shallow. My name is Nate Wheeler. I'm a small group leader here at the church, and it is my privilege to bring the message today to you. Uh, Jake, you can run my slides because I hate this thing. Perfect. Only Greg likes that. All right. Well, it has been a gorgeous week this week. A little hot to start, but beautiful to finish. And uh, we were spending a lot of time as a family outside on the farm this week. It was great. I hope the rest of you enjoyed the week as much. My message today, helpless in the storm. And I think as I, as I moved into this message, I was thinking about the last year plus, the storms of life that we've faced, everything that's happened, the ups, the downs, um, the disagreements, the uncertainty of life. And I just thought about, wow, what a storm, what a ride um, we've been in this last year plus. And it was, it was not a fun ride for me. I did not enjoy the ride. A little motion sickness at times and frustration. But I think at the end of this message, what I hope that you'll walk away with is that we are stronger than we think in the midst of the storm. So let's jump right into scripture. In Mark four thirty-seven through 40, it says this, a fierce gale wind developed and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling with water and Jesus himself was in the stern sounds like a good thing asleep on the cushion and they woke him they being his disciples and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing And he got up and he rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the winds died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And it's an interesting spot that we pick up on in this story because why were they in the boat to begin with? Well, they had just got done on the other side of the lake and Jesus said, Hey, let's get in the boat, go over there. So Jesus himself put his disciples in this boat, and then he falls asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but I I normally recognize that God's in the boat with me. I normally recognize that he's going through life with me. But I love what the disciples did. They had to shake him and wake him up and be like, do you realize what's happening? You're the God of the universe, do you realize what's happening? Like, think about how silly that is. Of course I realize what's happening. Like, I, I know and see everything. I know what's happening. But you know what? In this last year, I think I found myself in the same place as the disciples. Right? Jesus is in my boat. God's on my side. And yet, in frustration with the things that we're seeing and, and having to work through in life, I feel like I had to just grab God and be like, hey, do you see what's happening? Do you, do you recognize what's going on here? It really doesn't get you anywhere, by the way. It doesn't help you progress in your walk with God at all. Because basically he says, yeah, duh, sit down. Um, But I feel like so many people that I've met and talked to this year have also been going through that. They've They've had ups and downs in the storm of the year and all the things that presented us, right? There's so many arguments that I'm not even going to get into today that presented it themselves this year. 
and there seemed to be this your side, my side, and, and it built this uh, division amongst people. And no matter what side you were on, I feel like a lot of us had to shake God and say, hey, see how dumb their argument is? Do you realize what's happening? Why don't you stop this already? But it's interesting, Jesus' response to them. See, Jesus, in, in Mark 3, called his disciples and he said that he was giving them power to go out and preach the gospel and heal the sick. So we know at, at least these people have, have been called for a purpose. They've left everything behind, right, to go follow Jesus as his teacher. They know he's someone of significance at this point. And I, w- I would venture to even say they know and they're inclined to believe that this is the Messiah. It's early in the gospel story, but I would, I would argue that. That they're inclined to believe that this is the Messiah. He comes out of nowhere as a rabbi all of a sudden and then calls them and they follow him. He doesn't have a track record. He's brand new to the scene. And they follow him. But in this moment, they cry out and say we're going to perish. And I'll tell you what, as I was preparing this message, this is what really struck me and began to hurt my heart uh, towards the way I've been acting this last year. Is when Jesus says, do you not have faith? You know, I've always read that as like, well, don't you think I can calm the storms? You've seen some other miracles. You know who I am. Don't you think I can calm the storm? But I think it's a greater challenge than that. I think in essence he's saying, don't you believe in me? Don't you believe that if I was called for a purpose to accomplish things in this world, that I'm not going to die nor let you die until the appointed time? And my heart began to break as I read this and kind of had this new perspective on it. When we start shaking God in our life, are we denying his sovereignty? When we, the humans, feel the need to tell the Almighty what's happening... As if we know better than him, we deny his sovereignty in our life. Now that's not to say that you can't ask God why things are happening. That's a very different approach. But when we have to stand there and shake him, say, can't you see what's going on? I think we begin to deny who he is to us. In the last year and a half or so, the storms of life, you felt out of control. There's not much we can do to change the circumstances, even in shaking God. So I'd ask, who's in control? You know, my kids, um, we enjoy going up to my parents' house and driving the UTV around the farm and having fun. And these are my two youngest in there with me right now. Matter of fact, I took them all for a ride last night. And this is what it looks like when I get into the UTV with the kids. We call it the gator. Uh, and we get into it, and the big kids pile in the back, and they love it. And, and Lilla's okay with it. But Arabella, my youngest, she does not like it. She's, she does not enjoy this experience, this family trip. Uh, yesterday, my wife handed her to me while I was sitting in the driver's seat so she could go around and get in the passenger seat. And she full clung to me, arms around the neck, legs wrapped around my waist, and I'm trying to pry her off of me to hand her to my wife. Like, and <clears throat> a lot of times, like this time, uh, when I took her for a ride, it was everything she could do to sit there for this picture, but most of the ride, she was in my lap, clung to me. 
she doesn't quite trust that this thing is safe and dad wouldn't hurt her. Um, yet, my oldest, she'll get in there, she'll put on her seatbelt, and I hope my parents aren't listening, I will drive as fast as that thing can drive, and I'll slide around the corners and come to screeching stops, I really hope they're not listening, um, <laughs> and you can always drive someone else's vehicle worse than you drive your own, um, come to screeching stops, and she has a blast, and she loves it. Of course, the whole time I'm like, you can't drive like this. You do not know how to drive like this. Um, and she loves it, though. Well, what's the difference between my youngest and my oldest besides age is the fact that one has had more time and more relationship with me and trusts me. One knows that even as scary as it could be, I'm never going to put her in a position where she would be harmed. Because I love her, because I'm a good dad, and I don't want her to get hurt. I want her to experience some ups and downs and bumps and rolls with me because it's fun. But I don't want her to get hurt. See, time and relationship build trust, and trust is the equivalent of faith. See, when we lack faith with God, what we need to do is spend excuse me, more time with God. Building our relationship with him so that we have more faith in him. Faith that he wouldn't want us to be hurt. Faith that he will, he will work out even the storm that we're in in a direction that is profitable for us in the kingdom. So sometimes when we get into these storms of life, God doesn't remove us from them, right? I don't, just because Arabella's afraid, I don't tell her she can, okay, you just sit on the porch. No, I, this is a, a family thing. We all love to do this. I want her to experience it, and I want her to overcome her fears. So she's got to ride out the storm with me, right? I'm okay that she's clinging to my neck. That's fine. I can still drive. Um, I, I'll let her do that. But she's got to ride out the storm with me. And sometimes in the storm of life, what we have to do is reckon with God's truth so that we can ride out the storm with him. And how do we do that? We look at scripture. We look at what it says about us and for us and to us. And that's what I want to do this morning. So Romans 5, 6 through 8 says this. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for the righteous person, though perhaps... For the good person, some would, would even dare die. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we're in the storm, even believers in the storm need to begin to reckon with the truth of what God did for us to restore us. See, God paid an ultimate price to bring us back to him. And I don't know about you, but if I pay a great price for something, I want to take care of it. Right? I paid a lot of money for my house, and I put a lot of time and energy into my house to make it what I want it to be, and I take care of it. And I get upset when my children write on my chimney. I don't know, call me stupid, but there are things that upset me when I put great price into something and it doesn't get taken care of well. God put the ultimate price into into us 
And we have to reckon with that truth. Does that make the storm stop in our life? No, it doesn't stop the storm. But what it does do is gives us faith to help make it through the storm. In 1 John 3.1 says this, See how great a love the Father has given to us, that we would be called children of God, and in fact, we are. Good Bible study, go read this in context, is a great passage of scripture. But this is what I wanted to pull out of it. He didn't just redeem us, he adopted us. So he paid a great price for us, which I'll, I'll go help friends. I'll put in a lot of time and effort on friends' houses and help them. Don't ask me for help with your house, please. Already people do that. But I'll go help them. I will go, I'll go spend some time with them. I'll tell them what to do and how to do it and, and show them the way. Um, and I'll put a lot of work into someone else's house. But God didn't just put a lot of work in you and a lot of investment in you. He made you his own. He brought you into his family. There is nothing on heaven or earth that could ever make me stop being my children's parent. Nothing. They are stuck with me forever. I'm sure they won't like it, but they are stuck with me. There is nothing that I enjoy more than watching my kids grow up and learn about God. God has that feeling towards us. He loves us so deeply and he made us as our yeah, made us his own. We have to reckon with these things as we go through the storm. Again, it doesn't take away the storm, but when you start to add up all these things, you begin to realize how much he cares for you. This year I decided that my son being one of uh, five and the only boy, that I should probably spend a little bit more time bonding with him. Um, I think that I want, I want to be able to enjoy time with him as he gets older, and if I don't start now, um, I might have to let him do my makeup. So, he's probably listening. Uh, Ashley, you can explain that to him. Um, so I bought him a bow and arrow, and I bought me a bow and arrow. Now, his bow and arrow, well, it's a kid's bow and arrow. And my bow and arrow is not a kid's bow and arrow. Um, but he is fast outgrowing his bow and arrow. And uh, I made an investment, though, in my child. And God made an investment in you. And he sowed into you. He gave you purpose. And he wants to have relationship with you. And he paid that price to do it. This, this endeavor was not a cheap endeavor to make sure that me and my son would have something that him and I can bond over. Right? That, that we could engage with and share some laughs and, um, and just grow, grow in the ability to, to commune together. And I made an investment in that. Now he's fast outgrowing that investment um, because he grows like a weed um, but let's uh, before I finish that story, let's jump to Acts one eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. See, God loved us, He adopted us, and He empowered us. 
He wants us to not live in fear. And as we reckon with truth, as we start to go down this line of reckoning with truth, we have to start to let that build faith in us that if he did all this for us, then we're going to make it out of the storm on the other end. We're going to make it through to the other end. But because God is a good God, he doesn't leave us there. Back to the story about the bow and arrow. Because I'm a good father, I bought my son a bow. I invested in him like God invests in us. I wanted to build that relationship with him. But he's outgrowing it. I have a few options as a father. I could just buy him a bigger bow. Um, I could do nothing and just lose the connection that we've built. Or my third and favorite option is I told him if he saved up a certain sum that I would pay for the rest of the bow. And I would buy him a bow just like mine so that he can shoot with me as long as he wants because it will grow with him and, and he'll be able to use it for the rest of his life. But as a good father, I gave him incentive to grow up. I said, hey, listen, you come this far and I'll go the rest of the way. You still got to get that far, but I'll go the rest of the way. God does this with us. He's telling us, hey, listen, I've loved you. I've adopted you. I've empowered you. But I want you to go be my disciples to the end of the earth. See, God gives us what's good for us and then uses it for what's good for us. He doesn't doesn't just pull us into a great place and let us be spoiled little children, but he pushes us into a deeper relationship with him. He pushes us towards his kingdom by asking us to work for his kingdom, which is good for us. So how do we do that? How do we go through the storm? Well, in Philippians 4.13 it says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now some of you will know this and others you won't. But this is Paul saying this. And Paul (laughs) experiences quite a lot in life. And in this point, he's already in prison. In prison, Paul saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can he say that? How can he make that statement? He's in prison. I mean... They're not nice places. I don't want to go there. And I think sometimes we can think, God, in this storm, it feels like I'm in prison, right? It feels like I'm completely out of control. Everything else is telling me what I can and can't do. I'm out of control. And yet if we look to Scripture, we have Paul saying, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can make it through the storm of life. And it doesn't matter if it was this last year plus or if it's 10 years from now. You're going to go through storms in life. They're just inevitable. It happens. It's, it, it rains and sun, wind. Uh, it just happens. It happens in the real weather. It happens in our, in our spiritual lives as well. Here's another good one in Second Corinthians 12, 9. Paul has a thorn in his flesh, and he's cried out to God several times, hey, remove this thorn in my flesh, remove this pain in my neck, remove this storm from my life. And God replies to him, and he says, and he says uh, this, he says, and he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfect in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Again, Paul's in prison. Now Paul's in prison with a thorn in his side. And he's saying, in my weakness, God makes me strong. I can't overcome this by my own strength, but I can overcome this by his power. So I'm going to boast into my weakness. I'm going to press into my weakness that he will overcome on my behalf. I'm not going to try and hide it. I'm not going to try and act as if it doesn't exist. But I'm going to press that weakness into God and let him overcome on my behalf. And as Christians, I think we lack the ability to do this sometimes. I certainly know that I lack the ability to press into God for my weakness. I would rather A, learn how to be better, or B, just hide it all together. I don't really want to reckon with the fact that I am weak in something and I need him to cover my weakness. But we're stronger than we think because of this verse. See, it's not our strength that carries us through the storm. It wasn't the disciples' skill in boatsmanship that carried them through the storm. It's the power of God that carries us through the storm. And we need to reckon with that truth. We need to stop banging our head into the wall in frustration over and over again. What should we do when we are standing in the storm what do we do at this point if we reckon with truth but the storm's still raging what do we do we know we've been loved we know we've been adopted we know we've been empowered we know we've been called to go and make disciples but there's a storm outside and i feel helpless what do i do how do i press in and reckon with this truth and make it out the other side of the storm with god as my guide I'm glad you asked. Again, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 5, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. Here's what you do when you're in a storm. You keep doing what God called you to do. That's how you get out the other side. See, if you stand still, you just stay in the middle of the storm. But if you keep walking in a manner worthy of your calling, you will make it out the other side. Maybe that will be to glory, or maybe that will be more to do and accomplish here. But a boat that sits still goes backwards most of the time, unless the wind's with you. I guess you have a one in four chance. The hardest thing you will ever do in life is doing the right thing when you don't want to. See, as Christians, we have a book that tells us what the right thing to do is. We have a a book that helps show us and shape us the direction God would want us to walk. And sometimes the hardest thing you will ever do is feel like you want to give up and continue to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. But that's the path to the other side. Is pressing in, knowing that he's called you, knowing that he's adopted you, and knowing that he's empowered you to continue walking in that and towards the end goal. Well, what does that look like? Well, the rest of Ephesians says this, with all humility and gentleness, with all patience, bearing with one another's 
with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This is what breaks my heart, church, this last year. I don't think the church in general has done a good job of preserving the unity of the body. The unity of the spirit. I don't think that we have opened our doors in a loving way. I think we've actually failed this verse. And I think it's because we let too many storms rock us. We've had all those issues that we've faced over the last year and a half. And rather than facing them in love, we've let them rock us and create division within our church family. I have a friend, Mark Lacasse. You guys know him. He's a good friend of mine. Him and I fell on very different lines of, a, uh, of one of the things that we faced in the last year. And it's interesting to me as I think about this because this is the, one of the only examples um, of friendships. Him and I fell on very different lines. Lines that divided most people in this culture. And yet, in this midst of a pandemic, in the midst of keeping his family safe um, from COVID and, and the struggles that they face with a family and keeping um, their son healthy and stuff, he still came and visited me. We made some maple syrup together, and we both respected each other's boundaries, and we, we didn't approach certain things, and we didn't, um, you know, we kept our social distance and stuff to honor protecting his family. I don't have very many friendships that lasted through this storm. Partly because I am a very opinionated um, person, and I don't mind telling you my opinion. And that is really off-putting to a lot of people. Um, and, and here's where I think I went wrong in the last year. Is although I'm a very opinionated person, and I don't mind telling you my logic and my opinion and my position on things, oftentimes that comes off like I don't love you. It really puts up a wall in front of us. Uh, the reality is, is, is I really do love everybody, even people I disagree with. Ask Greg. We've had some good disagreements. Um, but I would still consider him one of my closest friends. So I have not done well in this. I have not preserved the unity of the Spirit in the last year because I put that wall up. And it's not a wall I even intentionally built, but I wasn't conscious of keeping the wall from going up. And I think that I am guilty of violating this piece of Scripture. And church, I think that we all probably can think of somebody in our life where we've taken the fight past what's a common conversation and started to put up walls in our life and why is this so important? In the midst of, in the midst of stormy weather, why, is, why am I hammering in on this? John 13, 34 says this. I am, giving, I am giving you a new commandment that you would love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is why I'm hammering in on this. Because when we start to build the, diverse, uh, the division in a church rather than building the love within a church 
in putting up those walls. We've given up our greatest ability to share the gospel. See, I can preach and that's great. I can share the gospel that way. And you guys can, you guys can share as many scriptures as you want with any, anybody you want. I'm not saying that those aren't good things. But I think it's clear in scripture the way we interact as a church family is one of the biggest ways we share our faith with the unbelievers. The fact that we're knit together, the fact that we come from all sorts of different walks in life and economic status and all the different things that come into this building under one commonality, and that that is we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That and the love that we have one for another in the midst of that. I have some really close Christian friends that if they didn't know Jesus, we would not be friends. We just wouldn't. But we have one commonality and one passion that holds us knit together. And in this last year, we've sacrificed that too often. Too often we've let division come between us. Whether it's mass or COVID or an election... BLM, it doesn't matter what the issue is, but there's been so many hot topics. We've created division within a body that is supposed to, is commanded to love one another, to share the gospel. It's one of our greatest abilities to share the gospel. See, if we can't have unity within our church body, why would anybody outside the church want to have unity with us? Why would they say, yeah, I'm going to step outside of this hot box of hate to this hot box of hate? It doesn't make any sense. From the outside looking in, when you have disunity and frustration and argument, you're the same as them. Well, we're called to show them the love of Christ, and in this last year, I think we've shown them the division that exists among us. I know that I have. We have to reckon with the truth of the storm and also reckon with the calling that God has given us. This is both one of my favorite verses and the worst verse ever made um, in the Bible simultaneously. Romans 2 4 says this Or do you, do you think lightly of the riches of the kindness? And restraint and patience, knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Here's the thing is we're stronger than we think because the power of God lies within us. But that power of God that lies within us also brings us to repentance. I know I can think of people that I built up walls this year just because I was, well, prideful. And, and my way was the right way. Um, and I don't want to do that within the church body. It's one thing to have loving conversation. It's another thing to build up walls so you can no longer have loving conversation. God's purpose for us is to go be disciples. One of the greatest abilities you have to be a disciple is how you treat the church body. And how you fellowship with the church body. And the love that you have within the church body. I think we've compromised that love this last year. And I know for me, 
It's God's kindness that's brought me to repentance, to recognize that, to want to restore some relationships that have had wedges driven between them. So in closing, I'd like to encourage you today. If you know that you've been empowered, you've been adopted and you've been loved, you've been called for a purpose to go do the will of God, but this is a storm in your life that still exists, do business with God today. Whether you want to come up to the altar, whether you want to stay in your seat, whether you need to make some phone calls today, do business with God today. Let's break down the division that we've built up so that we can love one another to share the gospel outside of these walls. Let's be different than the world. Let's be who God created us to be. Let's be his children. So Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your rich kindness, Lord God, that leads us to repentance. Speak to our hearts today, Lord God. We want a unity of faith, Lord God. We want a love for one another that surpasses reason or understanding, even in the midst of the storm, Lord God. And more than that, we want to do what you created us to do and to go and be your disciples among the world. Help us to do that, Lord. Help help the lost to find your kingdom, Lord God. Let no one be left behind, Lord. We just thank you and we praise you for the rest of this day, Lord, as we go about our work. May you be present in our heart and our thoughts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.